Good morning and welcome to worship here at First United Methodist Church in Altamont. I'm Reverend Paige Campbell, your pastor. And I will say God is good and you will say all the time. I'll say all the time and you say God is good. God is good all the time. God is good. God is good even in the midst of our technology turmoil. We had a rough time last week. We are hoping that it goes much better this week. And if it doesn't, I'm going to give you my husband's telephone phone number. Are you ready? Find a piece of paper, write it down. He didn't know I was going to do this to him. But 217-508-8518. If we are having a problem with the worship service, if you will please text him a message and let him know he will communicate that. And hopefully things will go smoothly. I thought we were going to have a new computer going this morning, but... We bit off more than we could chew on a Sunday morning, so we will have that set up and ready for next week. Because we are ready for next week, but we are ready for this morning. After the week that we have had, we are ready for this morning. We are ready for this time to come to worship, to lay ourselves, our whole selves down before the Lord, to worship, to give thanks to pray, to repent, all of those things we will do in this hour. And so I invite you to prepare yourself uh, for worship as I light our candles. Will you join with me in prayer? Gracious God, loving God, powerful God, all-knowing God, all-creating God, Lord, we come before you this morning. We come before you this morning, Lord, as souls that need your forgiveness, souls that need to be refreshed, souls that need to be reminded of your love, souls that need to be re-energized, God, we come to you this morning out of so many places and so many experiences, but we are here, God, now to give our whole hearts to you. So, Lord, bless us. Pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us this morning. No matter where we are worshiping from, God, pour your Spirit upon our spirits so we can truly experience you in this time of worship. Amen. Our first hymn is number 149. It's called Cantemos al Señor. Let's sing into the Lord. We as a congregation have only sung it one other time, but since we've got Olivia here, I thought we'd give it another try. So she's going to play through the entire melody for us once so you can get the hang of it. It's a lively Mexican tune, and then we will sing it together. Let's sing unto the Lord a hymn of glad rejoicing. Let's sing a hymn of love at the new day's fresh beginning. God made the sky above, the stars, the sun, the oceans. And God saw it was good, for those works were filled with beauty. Which shows our love and faith and the hope of all creation. Through all that has been made, the Lord is praised for greatness, 
and we sing to God for the Stousy's lovely blessing. that one I, learned, I was telling Olivia I learned that one in Spanish so when we practiced it this morning I started singing it in Spanish accidentally um, but it's a it's a lovely song from our world church and so it's good to sing it this morning I invite the children to gather around the television the tablet the phone the computer whatever it is that you are watching uh, for some children's time so as you all can see we are back to kind of like a normal looking church Right, and so we are going to be talking about some very important families of the Old Testament over the next couple of weeks, and so I want to make sure you guys know who these people are as well. So way back in the Bible, in the very beginning of the Bible, we have our first couple, our first husband and wife. Now shout to the television or whatever you're watching and tell me what was the name of the first couple. Louder, I can't hear you. Louder. Okay, if you said Adam and Eve, you were right. Adam and Eve are our first recorded man and woman in the Bible, the first man and woman that God created. And God created both a man and a woman because, well, God knew that we are not good all by ourselves, that we need helpers. And God also knew that we needed to make babies. And you've got to have a man and a woman to do that. If you have questions about that, ask your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or your neighbor, your nanny, whomever it is that takes care of you. But anyway, so Adam and Eve, when they were created... They lived in the most perfect place in the world. Does anybody know what that place was called? Yell it at the screen if you know what it was called. Anybody here in the peanut gallery know what that place was called? Oh, they don't. It was called Eden. Was that your guess? <laughs> Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden. It was the most perfect place that God had ever created. And it had everything that they needed. They didn't need anything else. Yet still... Well, there was this snake, this serpent, that came and said, you have everything except one thing. You have everything, but you don't have the one thing. See, God said that you couldn't eat the fruit from that tree over there, but really, you want to eat that fruit. Even though you have everything else you could possibly want in the entire world, you really do want to eat that fruit, don't you? And so Adam and Eve did, even though God told them not to. And it's what we think of as our first sin, our first mistake, the first thing recorded in the Bible that we as humans did that God said not to do. Now, why would Adam and Eve do that? Why would, if they had everything else in the entire world, why would they choose to try and have the one thing that they were told they couldn't have? Well, you might recognize that feeling. Have you ever been told that you can't have cookies before dinner? If you've been told that you can't have cookies before dinner, what is the one thing that you want more than anything else in the entire world at that very moment? You probably want cookies. For some reason, well, I know that reason. It's evil. It's Satan. It's the devil. It's whatever you want to call it. That voice, that bad voice in our head tries to get us to choose the things that God has told us not to choose. It's that bad voice that tries to tell us to sin, to do something against God or our neighbor. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve did that when they chose to take the one thing they were told they couldn't have. And for them, it ruined everything. They were tossed out of the garden. They realized they didn't have any clothes on. And they also had to then tell God what they had done. And God had to send them out into the world, no longer fully protected by the beauty of Eden. 
There will always be a voice in your head that tells you to do the things that you shouldn't. There will always be a voice that says, you want to go take that cookie even though you were told not to. There will always be the voice that says, you want the apple when you're told not to have it. But there will also always be the voice of God that says, I love you. Follow me. Do what I say because I have perfect stuff for you if you just follow me. So when you have that voice that tells you like it did to Adam and Eve to take something that isn't yours, to eat something when it's not that time, tell that voice no. And if you do eat the cookie or the apple or take the thing that you weren't supposed to, then ask for forgiveness. Say, I'm sorry, and don't do it again. And God will love you through all of that as well. Let's pray. God, we're really sorry that Adam and Eve made a really bad choice. But you do give us choices. So help us, Lord, in our choices. Help us to choose right over wrong. Help us to choose good instead of bad. Help us to choose your way instead of the other way. Help us to choose to love, to forgive, and to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now that we've come to our time of our tithes and offerings, I have a really exciting announcement for you all. You might have seen it in the introduction slides, but that is we have um, an opportunity for you to now give online. Um, so if you go to secure.antidote.com slash altamontfumc slash give, you can set up a giving account. And you can set up a, a, a one-time gift, a weekly gift, a monthly gift, whatever you'd like to do. And so if you are one of those who isn't really big on the checkbook, I really encourage you to uh, use this resource as a way to support the ministries of our church. And of course, we thank all of you who continue to bless us with your generosity by mailing in your contributions. You can still mail in your contributions to First United Methodist Church, 308 North 2nd Street here in Altamont, Illinois, 62411. So for those of you who want to set up your online giving now, we're going to take just one moment, one minute, um, for our offering. In thanksgiving for all that God has blessed us with and to bless then all that we give back to God and the church for ministry and the sharing of the gospel across the world. Let us sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. been a week in which we have needed a lot of prayer. This is a week where news about the coronavirus has been both good 
because the vaccine is getting out there, and also bad because our numbers aren't improving the way that we should. It's been a week then where we have had many people to pray for, both because of the coronavirus and because of other illnesses. And it's also been a week because something happened at the Capitol that we have never seen in our lifetimes. And I'd love to say something profound here. And some of you are now probably thinking, oh, why is she talking about politics and church? But we are the church, and we speak to everything. And I believe that as a church, we are now grieving at the way in which we as Americans are treating one another. We are grieving that there has been violence, that there has been injury, no matter who it was who caused it. And I'm just plain disappointed, just plain disappointed, but not surprised. I've heard a lot of pundits say on the news this week that this is not who America is. This is not what we stand for. Storming the Capitol is not what we stand for, but it is indeed who we are now. Whether we like to admit it or not, it's who we've become. We've become people who, when we are unhappy with the results of something, we fight to change it. Sometimes that's for the good, and other times it's not. And it's never for the good when it causes harm. John Wesley told us to do no harm to do good, and to stay in love with God. So I believe that as a nation, as an entire people, we need to repent, because this is not the people that God has called us to be, a people who are so divided that we are not even willing to talk to one another, a people who are so selfish that we put our wants and our needs ahead of the safety, the well-being of others. And when all of us as citizens have agreed to live within an institution of government, who have we become when we say we don't like it, so we use force to try to change it? That's not how Jesus did it. Jesus ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. Sure, he went into the temple and he turned over the money changers' tables because he was angry but he didn't hurt anybody, and he never called for an overthrow of the government. He calls us to love one another, to pray for those who persecute us, and to love our enemies. Until we are a nation of Christians, which we claim to be, who can do that? We are most certainly falling short. So let us repent of our sins, of the feelings that we have had, of the pridefulness that we have, of the selfishness that we have. Let us instead pray and ask God to turn us to good for the community, for our families, for our nation, and for our world. I invite you now into a few moments of personal prayer time. Lord, we humbly, very humbly, come before you this morning, as we should every time we come before you. Lord, we come before you because you are our God, our creator, our savior. 
You are working in our lives each and every moment of each and every day so that we might do your will and, and show your love and kingdom here on earth. But Lord, we disappoint you all the time. We fail to show your love. We put ourselves and our wants and our needs first. We don't care for our neighbors as we care for ourselves. Forgive us. Lord, help us to dig deep within our souls to find those places that need to be cleansed, those places that need to be removed so that we might truly be one with you and we might truly love our neighbor no matter who they are. That we might remove, Lord, the things that keep us for, from caring for our neighbor the way that we should. Forgive us, God. Forgive us our sins, individually and collectively. God, we pray for healing. We pray for healing in our country. Lord, care. And God, we pray for our world that your spirit and your light will come in and it will brighten all of us and that we will be the light of the world, that we will show that Christians truly follow Jesus first and foremost. Lord, on this morning, you know that there are so many other things that we could pray for. And we thank you, God, that you can hear those prayers before we ever speak them. But now we join our voices together and we pray to you saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we have now just moved out of the season of the year that would normally have been the time that was very heavy family. You know what I mean? That time between Thanksgiving and New Year's Eve where families often, you know, come together and sometimes struggle to come together to make time for every part of the family so that they can celebrate the holidays together. And no matter if your family is a biological family or a family of friends, there's probably a member or maybe two that, you know, 
stand out for one reason or another. Oh, that's Uncle Joe. Don't mind him. He just doesn't talk. No, no, he's really nice, and he can. He just doesn't. Okay. And, you know, that over there is my cousin, Melly. Um, we don't talk about her ex-boyfriend with her because she becomes very emotional, okay? So, so, so don't talk about, to her about that. That's a trigger, okay? Or, you know, you've got just, you know, people who always want to talk about baseball, you know? Well, that's Grandpa. All he wants to do is talk about the Cubs, so just be prepared for that. We all have our own little quirks and our, and our differences, and, and, and we've had our different experiences in life. It's what makes families unique, and it's also what makes families messy. Because we're all part of families, again, whether they're biological or a family of friends, one that you've created. And somewhere in our family, there are parts that are messy. And sometimes they're a mess. <laughs> but we still love them the best that we can. I remember trying to learn my ex-husband's family tree. Now, before I begin, let me say they're all lovely people, all right? Lovely people. Um, and it's just that there were a lot of them. And because of deaths, divorces, remarriages, and things like that, there are a lot of last names in this family. And I couldn't keep it all straight. And so I literally sat down at the computer and created a diagram of his family tree. And so this was so I could figure out who was related to whom and who, who was married, who was daughters, all that kind of stuff. Um, and these were great people, but they had had different experiences than their lives. You know, divorce is messy, death is messy, things like that. And their lives weren't an episode of Leave it to Beaver their lives were normal. I'm so glad we don't have the Cleaver family anymore to hold up as an example of what family perfection is because it wasn't and isn't realistic. That family didn't have the stresses and strains of real life, and in the end of every episode, a lesson was learned and everything and all the problems were solved. And we know that's not how life is. Let's be honest, the perfect family is a myth. There are none. And again, let's be honest, perfection isn't and shouldn't be the goal of any family anyway. Think about it, what is the goal of family? Because family isn't just biology. You can be related to folks, but don't really consider them your family. And you can have folks that are not related to you biologically who you consider to be like your brother or your sister. The goal of family, what makes family family, is connection and care, a space, a place, a group where there is love and safety and nurture, where the goal is not perfection. The next few weeks, we're going to dive into one of the most important families of all time and one of the most important families of the Bible. We're going to be talking about Abram, the son of Terah, and his family. And I'm going to spoil the ending here for you. They weren't perfect. They weren't perfect. They were perfectly messy. No family is perfect, yet God loves and uses all of us as part of God's family, God's messy family. So let's learn more about Abram and his family. I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 26. When Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the descendants of Terah. Terah was father of Abram. Nahor and Haran, and Haran was the father of Lot. Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his birth, Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the son of 
his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, Abram, who we know later as being renamed Abraham, his family is so important to the traditions of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. His family ties these three faith traditions together, all of us can trace our roots back to Abram. That's over 4 billion people who can trace their spiritual heritage to Abram. He is known as the patriarch. But was Abram perfect? Nope. Was his family perfect? Nope. God's chosen people? Well, they were messy people. So let's dive in some more. It's approximately, I don't know, sometime between 2500 to 1900 BCE before Christ. And Terah lived in Ur, in southern Mesopotamia, and had three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, Abram's name means exalted father. Think about that one, exalted father. Just stick a pin in that one. We'll be using that later. Now, one of the brothers... Well, now, which one of these brothers is oldest? We don't know. In fact, it's interesting. The scripture says that Terah was 75 when he had his sons, Abram, Nahor, and, and Haran. So does that mean that they were triplets? Well, that would be a lot of fun for Terah, wouldn't it have been? <laughs> so let's look here at our family tree. So in this generation that we have here, um, Haran has a son, Lot, but Haran died in Ur. And that's where they were all from. Ur, we, I'll show you a map in a minute, but it's um, in the southern part of Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. Abram has no children, so it seems that he becomes then the guardian of Lot because he is Lot's uncle. And Abram is married to childless Sarai, and her name means princess. Sounds like a good group. What happened to Nahor? We have no idea. No idea whatsoever. But for unknown reasons, which maybe we'll credit God with, although it's uncredited in the text, Terah, grandpa, takes Abram, Sarai, and Lot and decides to move them 1,100 miles to Canaan. Now, let's think about an 1,100-mile trip, shall we? Do you like to travel with family? I bet for some of you, the answer would be yes, and some of you, the answer would be like, ah. If nothing else, it isn't easy. I mean, I remember back to when I was traveling with babies. You had the, the car seat, the stroller, the diaper bag, the diapers, the extra outfits, the food, the wipes, the toys. I don't know, moms, what am I missing? You know, so much to bring with them. And then when they become older, then their quirks begin to come out. Now, growing up, my family used to always take a two-week driving vacation every summer as our big family vacation. We drove all over the country. Well, at one point, my sister suddenly had to go to the bathroom every 20 minutes. Every 20 minutes. It was on a trip coming back from Florida. Every 20 minutes my sister had to go to the bathroom. Now, I think, remembering back, she was like four or five at the time. So this was something that kind of developed suddenly, perplexed the heck out of my parents, and really put a crimp in our traveling style. So what did my parents do to solve the problem? Well, we started traveling with a full-size van, took the back seats out, and my parents bought a porta potty some kitty litter, and put curtains up in the back windows. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. It was back in the days when you didn't have to wear seatbelts all the time. But anyway, it made for some very interesting travel with family. Now, I'm sure some of you have some messy travel stories. <laughs> well, now I want to put you into Abram's 
shoes, or maybe it was bare feet at the time. Imagine traveling 1,100 miles with your father, wife, and nephew. Or maybe think of yourself as Sarai, traveling 1,100 miles with your father-in-law, your husband, and your nephew. Or your Tara, traveling with your son, your daughter-in-law, and your grandson. Or your Lot, traveling with grandpa and your aunt and uncle. In those days, it was hardly possible to travel 10 miles in a day. If you traveled 10 miles a day, this entire trip would have taken you 110 days. But we know it would have been much, much more than that because of weather and the terrain. I mean, here's a map. Take a look at where they were going from. So they're down in the lower corner near the Persian Gulf in the town of Ur. And they would have followed the Euphrates River because that made most sense. It would have had, it's the best traveled route that was available in those days, a constant source of water. And then they would have traveled up to Haran. Now you might have said, well, there's Ur. Why couldn't they have gone due west to present-day Israel? And the answer to that is desert and mountains. The best travel route was along the rivers along the Fertile Crescent, as it's known. So you go up to Haran, and then you would have come down then into the land of Canaan. So here's the issue. They only made it halfway. They only made it up to Haran. And for reasons we don't know, they stopped in Haran, which is actually a city that still exists today. And apparently they settled there for a while. Perhaps they thought that the trip was too long and too arduous. But it was there in Haram that Terah died, and the Lord appeared to Abram. So let's see what the Lord says next. Reading from Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse. And, and, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. These verses that I just read are perhaps the most important verses in all of the Old Testament. They are for sure the king, the key to the book of Genesis, and they are just central to everything that happens in the Torah, the Jewish Bible. God is making a promise, a huge promise, to a man who has no children that God will do three things, make him a great nation, bless him and make his name great, and bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. Let me say that again. He's going to make this fatherless man a great nation. He's going to bless Abram and make his name great. And God is going to bless all those who bless Abram and curse those who curse Abram. And because of what God will do, Abram will be a blessing to others. Because of what God will do, Abram will be a blessing. That's huge. That's a huge promise. And that is the promise of family. God is saying to Abram, I've got your back. I'm going to help you succeed. I am going to help you grow and prosper. Listen to me, trust me, follow me, and become part of my family. God is saying all of this to Abram, who just lost his father, is childless himself, has an orphaned nephew, and he's living in a foreign land. God comes to Abram in the midst of Abram's mess and says, trust me, and I will see you through. 
Believe in me and become part of my family, and I will take care of you. And in turn, you will bless others. Now, Abram at this moment cannot be sure that any of this is going to be true. I mean, and he's probably not in his best state of mind anyway. And it's not like he could see into the future. But his response, his yes, his trust, shapes his future and our future. Because what does he do? He trusts. He says yes. And it's not just Abram saying, ah, what have I got to lose? Because actually at this point in his life, he had stuff to lose. He had possessions. He seems to be pretty well off. He had things and people working for him and things like that there in Haran. But he trusted God's promise and was willing to get up and go to Canaan. And so they went. It was about another 500 or so miles to Canaan. So it was about 600 miles to Haran. And then it was another 500 down to Canaan. And it's not like there wasn't anybody in Canaan. It was already occupied. When Abram got there, specifically to the city of Shechem, God spoke to Abram again and said to him, to your offspring, I will give this land. So Abram built an altar to God there who appeared to him in that space. With all the uncertainty that was still before him, Abram stopped and gave thanks. God called Abram and his family in all of their imperfections, and there are more imperfections to come. Don't worry, we'll cover them. And God called them to be a part of God's family. And Abram trusted, he believed, he joined, and he gave thanks. God doesn't call us into God's family because we're perfect. You know, there's this philosophy or this misnomer that, you know, I can't go to church because I'm not good enough. Guess what? None of us are. We are not followers of Jesus because we are perfect. We don't believe in God because we are godly ourselves. Quite the opposite we need God's direction. We need God's correction. We need God's grace, forgiveness in our lives. We aren't called into God's family because we are perfect, but God calls us into God's family because God knows that through him, we can be a blessing to others, even in our messiness. God has made us a promise. God's got our back. God loves us. And God will bless us and make us a blessing the same as God did for Abram. And we are all, everyone, invited into God's messy, imperfect family. And we all, imperfect as we are, can be blessings to others just as God promises. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to claim your membership in God's family. Part of that family is Jesus' son, who died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. If you don't feel that you are a part of God's family, or maybe you've never tried to join before, it's easy to join. Just say, God, I'm in. God, Forgive me for my sins. I want to be a part of your family. And then go. Be a blessing to others. All of us as members of the family of God can be a blessing. We can stand on God's promises to Abram and we can live them out for ourselves. So let's go and do Amen. For the business of the church, the office will be open tomorrow on Monday 
We do have food pantry on Tuesday and Thursday from 1 until 3. The trustees are meeting on Monday night at 6 p.m. And NA meets here in the church on to Thursday at 7 p.m. Our closing hymn is number 374, Standing on the Promises of God. These are the promises that God made to Abram, passed on through his family, and are now promises that we have as well. So let us sing together, Standing on the Promises. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages at his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail by the living word of God I shall prevail standing on the promises of God standing 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 on the promises of God my Savior of Christ the Lord bound to him eternally my love strong cord overcoming daily with the spirit sword standing on the promises of God standing 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 on the promises of God my Savior I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, has been messy in more ways